Welcome to Mom and Up. With your co-host, developmental psychologist, Dr. Marty Erickson, and Dr. Aaron Erickson, maternal child health specialist and nurse practitioner. Here's my grandma, Marty. And here's Aaron, my mom and mom. Welcome to Mom Enough. I'm Erin Erickson here with my mom, Marty, and our guest, Dr. Michael Banasi, who is the leading expert on touch and author of the recently released book, Touch Matters. An award-winning psychologist and neuroscientist, Dr. Banasi is here to discuss with us the myriad of benefits of what he calls our most underappreciated sense, touch. Thank you so much for joining us, uh, Michael. We're so appreciative of having oh, well, you here you. today. Thank you so much for having me. It's a real pleasure to be here with you. I echo Aaron's welcome, and I hope it's okay that we just uh, call you Michael during this conversation. Oh, yeah, I, yeah please, please, please do. It's, we it's, tend to be informal, but we don't want to, uh, you know, underappreciate yeah. someone no, with no, your no. credentials. I prefer Michael. Uh, it always freaks me out if okay. people call me Dr. Banner. You struck me as that kind of guy. <laughs> so, yeah. <laughs> we're, like, we're on first names, too. <laughs> so, all right. Well, I, I just have to tell you, I read this book, and um, I... I'm so impressed with it. I'm so impressed with your um, ability to write really complicated um, research findings in a very accessible way and ju uh, just a really warm, engaging way that I, I think just kind of sucks the reader in. And I, as somebody who's tried to walk that that path, you know, in terms of uh, what they now talk about is translational research, you know, communicating research so people can understand it. Uh, I just am kind of in awe of how well you did that. And so I think uh, people and everywhere will really appreciate this book and just find so many things that they'll relate to. I certainly did. And I might throw in a few of those little anecdotes along the way when Aaron and I never can resist doing that, you know. But um, I wonder if you could start us off, Michael, by just talking about why touch matters specifically for our happiness, health, and well-being. Yeah, well, well, firstly, thank you for the very kind words about the, the book and the, and the writing. And um, yeah, I'm really glad to hear, hear how accessible it was. Um, in terms of um, why touch matters, I mean, ultimately, I, I think it's one of our most important senses right the way from birth, right the way through to our final moments. I think there's not many senses quite like it. I mean, touch is there with us from our, our earliest moments to our very last. And, you know, yeah, from birth, it's essential to our development and our well-being. Um, I'm sure we'll talk about it, but to give a kind of snapshot, I mean, there's the studies on on newborn babies and, and their parents. They've shown that, you know, these kind of caregiving forms of touch that we engage in very early, they can contribute to things like less crying, shorter hospital stays. Uh, they can impact like the levels of anxiety and depression in the parents as well. So really benefits there, but even adults will benefit as well. So there's now a wealth of research coming through showing that kind of, I suppose, simple and supportive tactile behaviors. So like a hug from a partner that you might desire um, or, you know, a, a someone you care about holding your hand during an operation, for instance, these can reduce our stress and anxiety. They can lower our blood pressure. They can even boost our immune system. Um, so in those contexts, um, I think there's a range of ways in which touch can be beneficial. And that's before we even move into the more subtle things like a, a fist bump or a handshake or something like that. Well, I, I love this idea of, of thinking about this sense in this way, because I hadn't really considered the fact that, um, 
Unlike other senses, like hearing, for example, for many people fades as we age or we have more difficulty or vision, um, touch really is something that is constant. And so uh, I can see why this is so important. And I think it's something we so often take for granted. Um, I, I can even think of, uh, you know, times where I've had a hard day and even my dog will come and curl up next to me and just having, even though he's an animal, just having that soft, fuzzy, warm body next to me feels comforting. Or my daughter just got home from her first year of college and we had the biggest, longest, giantest hug ever. And it just was, it's so wonderful to kind of connect with people in that way. And so I, I so appreciate uh, your work in kind of exploring this very important sense. Yeah, no, I mean, for sure. And I mean, you highlighted a number of things there, right? I mean, I think touch just grounds us a lot of the time, whether that's stroking a pet, whether that's hugging someone we care about, even self-soothing touch right which you know that could just be something like stroking your own arm or giving yourself a hug right putting your hands on your legs and just it, it can ground you it can reset you and and it's not just you know I have to take my word for it I mean there is there's data to back it up there was actually um recently a um a, a kind of a randomized controlled trial as it were um a study that took place um whereby people were put in stressful situations so they they had to basically stand in front of a crowd and do mental maths out loud so you know that might not sound too stressful for some but for me that's terrifying frankly um and um basically before they did that these people either had hugs from someone else right so they had a hug from somebody else or they were engaged to or encouraged to engage in self-soothing touch themselves so Typically, people hug themselves um, or they weren't touched at all. Um, what they found in the study was when you measure the stress hormone cortisol, this uh, lowered in the people that were hugged by others, but also the ones that self-touched, right? Those had that self-soothing touch. So when touch is supportive, when it gives us these kind of things, whether it's from somebody else or from ourselves, it can really carry benefits. And I think that's actually a really important message because some of us may not get touch in our lives, right? And we may we may come on to talk about that. But but in those scenarios, hey, we, we can find benefits even through through self-touch as well. Well, as a neuroscientist, could you tell us a little bit more about what's happening in the brain when we experience that touch that we find pleasant? Yeah, sure. So, um, I mean, to kind of take one step back, right? So even before the signals come to the brain, there's the question of what happens on our skin, right? And um, there is certain receptors in our skin that appear particularly attuned. So they kind of try to, they look out for um, gentle, slow caregiving touch. So if someone, let's say, just strokes your arm very slowly, yeah, um, that kind of the way you might intuitively stroke a baby or someone you care about. Um, we've got receptors in our skin, they're called C-tactile afferents, and they are specialized to try to detect this slow, gentle, what you might think of as caring touch. And when that happens, um, this sends signals to the brain, which um, are processed both by parts of our brain that respond to touch. So we have a part of the brain called the somatosensory cortex. It's kind of our mail room for touch. Um, but it's also processed by parts of the brain that are involved in processing rewards. So we find pleasant touch rewarding, a bit like we might find food rewarding. Um, and 
it also is linked to the release of hormones. Um, and some of the hormones that are involved in this are things like dopamine, which obviously typically involved in rewards, but also oxytocin. And oxytocin is a hormone that plays a really important role in promoting our bonds, building trust between us and other people. It's also really important in promoting calmness and relaxation. And part of the way it does that is by impacting our parasympathetic nervous system. So our nervous system, that's almost our rest and digest system is what people tend to refer to as the one that brings us to balance when we're in a stressful scenario. So touch has got this really beautiful direct route, right, into the brain and into the hormones that can help to bring us down. And, and to a degree, that might explain some of these benefits that we were talking about before. Well, that's a great description of all of those physiological processes that make us feel so good and, and uh, of course, contribute to our long-term development as well. You know, it was funny to me when you're talking about that randomized controlled study of uh, people being touched by someone else or touching themselves, and um, and that, that finding, I think, would be a little surprising to a lot of people that the self-touching would yeah. have uh, an effect, but... I, it triggered a memory for me from when I was in, oh, maybe third to fifth grade, I would guess, in that range. And, you know, young girls' friendships often are very um, tender, loving, and very physical many times. You'll see little girls walking around, you know, holding hands. And I think of Erin's daughter, the one that just came back from college, Clara. I'm going to come over and get one of those hugs, by the way, Erin. <laughs> I haven't had mine yet. But... Um, she, I remember when she developed her first really close friendship and she was so excited to tell me about this new girl her age who had just moved in. And she said, we love each other so much. And, and just, you know, all that affection and, and so on that you you don't see as nearly as much uh, in boys. I think it's very, very different. But so my girlfriends, my female friends, when I was in third to fifth grade, and I would um, use this movie time in our schools to uh, provide a little stroking, tender, calming touch to each other. And I don't know how this evolved, but we would kind of pair up and, and we would say, do you want to tickle arms? Do you want to tickle arms? Have you ever heard of this, Michael? <laughs> it sounds crazy. Well, well, I mean, I, I, I don't think it's too crazy, actually. <laughs> okay. Well, I don't know. I've never talked to anybody else who had this experience, but this was in West Des Moines, Iowa, and so we'd get into the theater or the auditorium, and we would sit with the person who had agreed that we would tickle arms, always a very close friend, and we would hold hands on the arms of the chairs uh, so that we each could reach over and stroke the other person's arm. So our arms were together, and with our free hand, we would stroke arms through the whole movie. You know, and it was one of the most pleasant sensory experiences. And you know, I remember walking out of those movies just kind of feeling this calm glow and going nice back then to the demands of of a third grade classroom or a fifth grade classroom, but. I, I don't know your your uh, your story really just evoked that memory for me that was uh, kind of kind of funny for me to think back on hadn't thought about that for years so let's uh, get back to the meat of your book and your research 
how does touch support healthy relationships from a baby's relationship uh, with their parents in the very earliest days of life through friendships and romantic relationships as we grow up? Just give us some of the highlights about what shows up in relationships when that touch is working the way it should. Yeah, well, I mean, touch is really important in relationships in, in, in many respects. I mean, I, I refer to it in the book as a bit like a social glue, right? It's the it's the sense that, that brings us together and builds and maintains those bonds. So, yeah, in early life, I mean, touch plays a really important role in helping people establish bonds with caregivers. And those bonds that are established have impacts right the way throughout life in, in all different relationships that we go forward in terms of our attachment styles and, and different factors like that. Um, but also with regards to things like friendships and so forth, you know, we, we find touch plays a key role again in those, in those roles. I mean, the example you just gave Marty of, um, you know, the, the friends kind of stroking each other's arms in the cinema, that's, that's one, one kind of nice example. It reminded me actually of a time during COVID where, um, we were we were doing a project in the UK and we we spoke to some students that were living together who were lacking touch in their life and they they basically decided to create a time in the day that was almost it was like five o'clock hug and they had this time because they were in a bubble together stuck in a house that they would just meet and they would just hug um oh, so, I love that. So, so 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 I guess I guess really as an example though in terms of friendships what I can do that's how our friends can support us through touch right during stressful times our friends can provide that um but a lot of the the, the research on this really is, is really strongly shown when it comes to romantic relationships so there's there's increasingly more work coming out now showing that sharing effective forms of touch um between couples can be really positive for things like relationship satisfaction relationship well-being um to give you one one example which is it's quite a mundane example but that's why i kind of like it um to be fair there was a there was a study that basically brought um couples into just a, a living room lab so this is a lab that looks a bit like your 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 lounge your living room and and in this particular setup um the couples just engaged in a conversation and um one set of couples, they were told to just talk and listen attentively. Um, and, you know, some took notes while they did this. Um, the other set basically were told to do that, but they were also told to touch during the interaction. You know, nothing more than a brief kind of tactile exchange. Um, after they did this later on in the, the day and there was time that passed from it, they were asked about how positive they viewed their interaction. Um, and those that touched viewed the interaction, you know, as substantially more positive than those that didn't touch, um, which was just a sign that actually they felt they had a better time just simply by introducing a very brief touch. Um, interestingly, when people rated the conversations who were independent, they were like, well, the conversations were no different. There was nothing special about that touch and that conversation, but people rated the, it more in the couple. But then what I found really interesting was when you looked a week later, those couples still felt more positive about their relationship, the ones that touched than those that didn't. So it's a very subtle thing where touch had this carry on effect, right? It had this, this short term benefit and we see it in other ways as well. Like there's, there's a lot of work now coming out, as I said, about like marital couples and, you know, when there's more affection, more effective touch in those relationships, you see greater marital satisfaction. Um, there is a nuance to that, I should say, and that some couples benefit more than others. So, you know, if you, if you have couples where, you know, maybe somebody doesn't have a desire to touch that may have a bit of a nuance into that that dynamic but um but there is increasingly more and more evidence like this coming out right the way through from childhood adults friendship romantic relationships you see these benefits playing out 
You know, I, I, that triggers another memory. Sorry about that. But I just think that's so important. And I'm, I'm really um, struck with the finding that the, you know, there's still evaluating a week later um, that this relationship is, is uh, more positive. And when my husband and I were young and, and our kids were our kids were young and we were busy, parents kind of running here and there. And, you know, that we didn't really have a whole lot of together time. And I would say the physical aspects of our relationship in general, um, you know, were a, a little less than they had been earlier on. But we went on a marriage retreat at one point. It was a particularly stressful time just in terms of our work. And, you know, we were really wanting to try to rise above how that was all playing out in our relationship. And, um, and, we were each sent off into the woods to take a walk, and then we were supposed to come back and write a list of um, five things that uh, five experiences or times in our life when we felt most in love with each other. And then we came back and compared those lists. And interestingly, our lists were almost identical, which was a surprise to both of us because we have very different personalities and, and uh, styles. And the number one thing on each of our lists was on Saturday mornings when we would go to run errands, and I'm talking go to the hardware store, which is not usually my idea of a great time, but we would go without our kids and we would hold hands. And I don't know why it was that when we're walking around the hardware store and, you know, maybe other, other little errands that we're doing along the way, the grocery store, the drugstore, whatever, um, it was really a tender time together. But the hand holding, I think, um, just really stood out because that wasn't something we did a lot then. <laughs> it was like we didn't, we didn't even think about it because we were running around from here to there. So uh, this is just really resonating with me obviously and that's the last personal memory i will share i no, promise but, but it, it's a nice example as well right of how there's yeah. a diversity in types of touch that can be beneficial and and, and help us that like we spoke quite a bit about hugging and different things but like hand holding right it's another type and often yeah. i think sometimes when we we can think about touch we might say well actually that person doesn't like to be touched sometimes in, in a dynamic but actually there are it's a diversity of ways in which touch can benefit our relationships or can benefit us and the fact that we can tailor that to support ourselves at a different time in our lives you know so if we're really busy and we haven't got time to cuddle all night or anything like that then yeah. actually maybe we can get those those handholds in just at some point during the day and that will bring those benefits to us and that will bring really fond memories right so i think it's really vital well, I'm going to take my husband to the hardware store tomorrow morning, <laughs> just for the record. And I'm going to hold his hand, whether nice. he wants it or not. <laughs> well, I'm also struck by, I, I think there's such a focus on on sexual intimacy and sexual touch in relationships. And I've often heard uh, both from patients and just, you know, in com conversations with friends that uh, people often really long for other types of touch in, in their relationships and maybe feel like, oh, there's nothing between nothing and sex, you know, where's the, the continuum of touch and just, you know, the kinds of touch that can happen in, in a moment of reunification at the end of the day or um, before bed and, and how important that is and that we often, I think, neglect that uh, that as as a, a really important part of of the many kinds of intimacy that can exist in a relationship. Yeah, one hundred percent. I think often we we can often lose sight of just how 
much touch does creep into our lives sometimes as well right there's so many little examples like at the end of the day you know cuddling before bed or holding hands in a store or just a pat on the back or making those times these things and and you're absolutely right i mean people do tend to focus on on sex as, and sexual touch as, as as one component in a relationship but it, it is one component right there is evidence that things like sex can benefit our well-being but actually when you start unpacking some of that one of the ways in which it does that is because it's an avenue through which people can touch and and from that there's other tactile non-sexual forms of touch that play a role like you know whether that's kind of hugs or, or other elements that might play a role even kissing right can have impacts so there's a whole range of factors in that yeah and i i'm thinking of some research that i i read a, a while back many many years ago about um kind of predicting the success of a marriage and um one of the factors that they looked at was that people would turn towards their partner you know that this kind of uh, giving back in some way, whether that was a touch or, I mean, even in times of conflict and that that was a hugely predictive factor for a more successful long-term relationship. And as you've said, you know, this, this, this matters, touch matters, the title of your incredible book, uh, it, it matters at, at every stage of the lifespan. And you talk about touch hunger and affection hunger. Uh, what are some of the consequences of affection hunger for our, our mental health and well-being? Yeah, I mean, yeah, so so touch hunger and affection hunger, uh, effectively, they describe situations where you're not getting uh, the amount of touch or the amount of affection in your life that you desire. And that's the really important part of that. It's because any of us can experience this, right? At times in life, we may not get the affection we desire or the touch that we desire. Um, and sadly, the consequences of it um, are, are quite quite bad, really, when you, when you look at it there. Are, and a lot of this is correlational, I should note, so we need to be careful to not draw causations. Um, but, you know, people who are more touch-hungry will show things like greater loneliness. They can have a kind of greater levels of anxiety and depression. Um, and there's a kind of range of other factors like that that can play a role. So, so in a sense, you know, it's quite a worrying factor and, and it's also quite a worrying trend because in in our own research um, that we did in 2020, we ran a study just as the pandemic was starting. So this may have influenced it a little bit, but um, we asked around 40,000 people worldwide whether they, they felt they had enough touch in their life. And actually around about 54% of people across the world sample reported that. That's from 112 different countries as well. Um, only 4% of people felt they had too much touch for comparison. <laughs> um, and those numbers just shot up actually as the pandemic continued because um, there was research that came out of Europe showing it was more like 80% of people come the spring of that time of year. Um, but it wasn't just us that had shown this, because even years before, going back to 2014, 2015, um, there's a researcher at the University of Arizona called Corey Floyd, and he'd shown this in several studies that actually, I think in one of them, he, he actually just asked people, you know, do you agree with the statement that Americans are in a state of affection hunger right now? And around 75% of people thought they were, which is really quite startling. Well, that is. I, I would have been in one of the uh, among the seventy five percent. You know, I mean, that was a really tough time, and uh, you know, trying to find 
find ways to connect with people physically in, across all situations. You know, I really missed hugging my friends and even couples were uh, sometimes cutting down on their contact, even couples who were in the same bubble or, you know, yeah. living in their house together, but we're still afraid of contracting this horrible disease from from each other. So I, I think it was just a very strange time for this whole concept of touch. And I shouldn't be surprised, but the number is still pretty striking, I would say. Um, so I want to ask a question about technology, because that is so ubiquitous in our lives. And I wonder what your observations, or perhaps you've uh, studied this, how technology is affecting the ways and the extent to which we interact through touch. Yeah, I mean, it's there's there's multiple ways, I guess, to, to think about that, that question. So... Um, there's, there's the way in which now increasingly there's more and more tech coming out that's looking at how it might be able to help us touch. So talking about touch hunger, there's now more and more work looking at what kind of tech substitutes could be put in place to, to help people with that. Um, so for instance, um, there's work on now, and actually some of it goes back to the early 2000s, but it's kind of kind of increase the things like building hugging shirts. So shirts that you can put on and you can send somebody via an app, you can send them a hug. Um, um, so there's, there's technology like this. Um, there's technology to share kisses as well. Um, <laughs> there's all sorts of different technology for, for long distance relationships, which on, on the first hand, we might sound well, that sounds kind of like a novelty. Um, but I suppose actually in the situation whereby, you know, you're maybe in a long term relationship and you, you can't get those tactile experiences in your life, maybe the opportunity to send a loved one a hug from afar could be a real benefit potentially. We don't know the impact on the science, what it does on people's well-being and so forth, but that's one route. Um, people are also doing things like building social companion robots, which, um, again, sounds a little bit strange when you when you say it out loud um but um but these these are effectively actually more things like pets and things like this but robotic pets and there's now work particularly in care homes showing that um if you get elderly patients in those those homes to stroke and engage with this these kind of they often use a seal so they use like a social like a, a robot seal but it's got fur on it and they find that actually these people show benefits to their health and well-being. They were, they have less pain in painful situations through interacting with this robotic pet. And it's important that it's turned on. That's a really important part of it. It has to be kind of like a live, animate, <laughs> moving pet for them. Um, and that's not dissimilar to a real pet, right? And, you know, so there's, there's these things like this where technology is trying to help support touch in different ways. Um, you know, I mean... The, the flip side of it is and some people, when, when I talk about this topic, kind of think about how technology might be stopping us from touching as well. Um, and I guess there's always a pro and a con to things, right? We, we now have more ways to maybe be connected than we've ever had before via online calls and, and online worlds and, and so forth. But many of us may feel less connected than we have been before. So I won't, I won't deny that there's that side to technology as well. Um, it's always really hard to pin down data exactly on how that has changed though, because we just don't have that data to know how has it really changed. We, we often have a, I suppose, a positive memory that we used to touch more often than we do now. So it's a bit tricky to, to unpack that. Well, it's, it's really fascinating as a clinician who works solely in telehealth. Um, I'm often struck by uh, these times where, I mean, just the other day I had a patient uh, who had shared some really painful uh, traumas and and was having some um, 
kind of things that were coming up for them. And, and we had a, a, a long uh, a therapeutic conversation about this. And at the end, the patient said, I wish I could give you a hug right now. And I, I was so touched by that. And, um, and she, she said, well, sometime if, if you're ever in the clinic and I'm in the clinic, is it, is it okay if I give you a hug? And I was like, well, sure, that's fine for me. You know, she's <laughs> asking consent, which is great. But I, I was really struck by even just in the clinical interaction. I mean, I'm, my work doesn't require me to do a physical exam, but you know, there's ways in which even in, as a clinician doing a physical exam, that that touch can be therapeutic and part of building therapeutic rapport. And we, we've lost some of that with, with these new approaches to care in, in meaningful ways. I, I'm also struck by um, something I've observed. So I, I use clinical hypnosis in my practice. And um, one, one of the techniques I use is I have the patients uh, visualize their hand getting warmer and warmer, and then I, I guide them to place their hand, you know, on their chest or their abdomen, or if they're having pain somewhere, and that this warmth is healing, and um, that they might even feel their hand like a glow of healing energy, and and. Uh, it's really interesting to physically see the changes in, you know, their um, respiratory rate and and then to hear their report of this kind of guided, prolonged touch of themselves and how powerful and healing that is. And and so I, I, I would be really interested in kind of looking at that even more from a research standpoint of, uh, as far as that type of really powerful and guided touch uh, as part of this process. Yeah, so that's just... fascinating. I'd, I'd quite like to do some research. If you, if you yeah. Have I think that's, that's really interesting because, I mean, it kind, of, it kind of makes me think somewhat around the fact that, you know, when we when we talk to a lot of people about kind of, like, let's say, mindfulness and things like this, right, people often move to, to meditation as, as their immediate thinking. What That's what mindfulness is. But ultimately, yeah. you know, mindfulness is being more aware of your own sensations right? your own body your own experience you could do that whether you're you're writing right you could do that through placing a hand on your body and focusing on you could do it in all sorts of different ways and you know that's been well known in the, the buddhist community for for years right you know it's kind of famous books like pieces every step and things like that, that have pointed to that so it's really interesting to think about it in this context of hypnosis and, and the process that these patients might be going through and that idea of placing the hand on the body and how that may well yeah ground them and raise that awareness of the body and, and how that could play out yeah, really fascinating work. Yeah, yeah. And I, I often say to patients, especially busy moms who are, are struggling to find those moments, I'll, I'll give kind of the suggestion that even a single moment, like a, a single drop of dye in a bowl of water can tint the whole water, a single moment of mindfulness, washing the dishes, feeling the warmth of the water, the, the texture of the soap, the roughness of one pan versus the smoothness of a plate, that those subtle things can really change our day and all of that really is about engaging that sense of touch and and so I, I think it's just very fascinating and it's so wonderful to talk to you I really hear your voice and and your approach uh, as a person here connecting in this way also really shines through in your work as well and so we're so grateful that you could join us today uh, Dr. Michael Banasee author of 
Touch Matters. Thank you so much for uh, giving us your time and sharing your wisdom on this very important topic. And uh, thanks to all of you for tuning into this episode of Mom Enough. I'm Erin here with my mom, Marty, and we'll be back again next week. Content copyrighted by Marty and Aaron Erickson. All rights reserved. Visit momenough.com for an archive of all Mom Enough shows and many free downloadable resources on child development, parenting, and maternal health and well-being. Do you think I'll have a show called Kid Enough someday?